listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. Hello, I'm Colin Steed, and I'd like to welcome you to Learning Now Radio. Learning Now Radio is our bi monthly podcast for all learning professionals. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue White. And welcome to episode four of Learning Now Radio. And thank you so much for all your kind messages and your feedback that we've received. Please keep it coming. We do like to hear what you think of our programmes. Lisa, what have we got lined up for today's episode? We've got another great interview for you in this episode with Clark Quinn of Quinnovator and the Internet Time Alliance. We discuss the learning and development revolution, a topic that's really close to his heart and that he's really passionate about. So it made for a really great conversation. But first, we have a regular contribution from Kim George. Kim recently attended an event about how to get the best from business networking. And in this episode, Kim provides some valuable tips that she received from the panel. Kim. I recently attended a networking event at the Getty Images Gallery, featuring a panel of speakers from a variety of companies who shared their experiences with networking. Charlotte Keesing, COO of Walpole British Luxury, chaired the event, and the panellists were June Sebley of private jet charter Fly Victor, Edward Craig from the law firm Charles Russell Speechless, and Nicola Thompson at Esther Lauder, UK and Ireland. The event was really interactive. It kicked off with an overview of best practice for networking and then moved into a Q&A type session with Charlotte asking the three panellists to share their insights, advice and experience. I'll do my best to summarise and if you'd like to know more, take a look at the tweets I posted on 10th of November at Kim S. George. So a lot of people find networking daunting, perhaps because they don't enjoy meeting new people, perhaps because they find it difficult to start conversations, or if they don't feel they have much knowledge to offer others. It's definitely something a lot of people avoid. So we first thought about why anyone would want to network, and we agreed it helps us to develop mutually beneficial relationships and to promote our businesses, or even ourselves. It enables us to form connections, do business with people we trust and who trust us, and it also increases our knowledge of the area or sector we work in. If you feel nervous about engaging with new people, try to use that energy and adrenaline to your advantage. This will prepare and motivate you and even give you a bit of a shine or a glow. You never know, it might stand you out a little bit more and impress people, even if you feel like an absolute wreck inside. We considered the actions we should take before an event or an opportunity to network. Here are four things the panellists agreed that we should do. One, research who's going to be there. Ask for an attendee list and check them out on LinkedIn so you know who you could potentially meet and, most importantly, who you want to meet. Two, consider what you can offer those you want to connect with. Do you have some skills they might need? Knowledge? Connections? Or do you think your personalities or styles of working might click? Three, be ready with your elevator pitch, or as I like to call it, your story. Be able to summarize quickly who you are, what you do, what you've achieved, and I think most importantly, what you want to achieve, as that might be a nice lead in to how you think they could help you. Finally, the fourth action is to identify people you could introduce to these new connections. 
As Edward Craig said, be generous when networking and meeting people. Give things away. What he means is you could give things away like connections or your knowledge or invitations to other events that you might know of. Now, after the event, there are also some actions you should always take. Review the connections you made and follow up with them in some way promptly. Connect with them on LinkedIn and remember to include a note with the invite, reminding them of where you met. All three panellists agreed they only connect with people on LinkedIn if they met them in person. So it's best to remind people that you have actually met. Nicola offered a piece of advice that actually surprised me. She suggested handwriting thank you notes to people, to the hosts of the event, for example, and says she believes it makes a real difference in today's world. During the Q&A, a strong message was that everyone has a network, even if we only consider it as a network of friends. We should explore the opportunities within our friendships as well as within the communities we have at work or in our wider industries. Try different events to discover what you like and what's right for you. There are so many opportunities out there that it can be difficult to know what to attend. Quite overwhelming. All three panellists admitted they had burnt themselves out in the past due to too much networking or socialising and stressed how important it is to be selective and strategic and to network on your own terms. Another key message was be nice. It sounds obvious, but as June said, you never know who you're talking to. So always be polite and aim for a positive and memorable first impression. Charlotte insisted on the importance of active listening. So don't panic and think of what you're going to say next. Instead, focus on what someone is saying to you and absorb it. Many people worry about forgetting people's names, not knowing what to talk about and not being able to close a conversation without being rude. I found the advice from the panel on these topics particularly helpful. They suggested to be honest if you've forgotten someone's name, just be brave and say so. Or a great tip if you can pull it off is to say, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten your name. And then when they respond, say, oh, of course I know you're Katie, I just can't remember your surname. Another piece of advice I liked was to keep up to date with recent events in the news so you can at least strike up a conversation about something you've read and not, like British people always seem to do, revert to talking about the weather. And what if you get stuck with someone you want to escape or if there's someone else you desperately want to meet but don't know how to end a conversation without appearing rude? The panel's advice was to just get over that fear. Be polite and thank them for their time and even be honest and say, I'm sorry, but I really must meet so-and-so. Thanks so much for your time. It's been lovely meeting you. Now, if you're like me and enjoying meeting new people, you might think you're all right at networking, that you at least have a good idea of the basics and how to have a decent conversation. But I learned so much from this event. It strengthened some of my beliefs and also reassured me that it's okay to be nervous. It's also never too early to start as you never know who you might meet. Someone you met at uni, in your first job, or even in your fifth job, years into your career, might become a really valuable connection. But the one thing that has really stuck with me since this event is something Edward Craig said. People like doing business with people they like. So I think we should just be ourselves and not overthink networking or put too much pressure on ourselves to gain something from it. Just consider it as meeting new people, enjoy it, and you never know where it might lead. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. And now we're delighted to welcome Clark Quinn to Learning Now Radio. 
I had the pleasure of catching up with Clark at DevLearn, where we started to discuss what he thought the learning and development revolution looked like. But I was really keen to get under the skin of this and get some practical takeaways for people working in learning and development today. Okay, well, I am delighted in this episode of Learning Now Radio to be speaking to Clark Quinn. Um, He's Executive Director of Quinnovation and Principal at the Internet Time Alliance. We had a fantastic conversation at DevLearn 2015, but for my taste, it was far too short, Clark, so I want to speak to you further. So thank you so much, Clark, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Lisa. Appreciate it. It's a topic I'm... uh happy to have another chance to evangelize on. I, I know that you are. And I know that this is a, you know, this is a true calling for you, a true passion. And, and one of the um, pieces that you've only just put out just before we recorded this interview, actually onto LinkedIn, I thought was a really good anchor piece for our conversation today. And it's about learning development job role changes and the revolution that needs to happen in learning and development. But before we dive into that too more, do you want to kind of give us your view of that world then, Clark? Sure. A little bit of context. I had been doing learning and technology my whole career, and I'd gone off in the academic route and came back to the corporate world full of ideas about how what we know about learning and technology could really help solve problems in organizational learning. And then I saw what was actually happening in organizational learning and um, was a wee bit dismayed, shall we say. And, um, yeah. And the direction has has gotten worse, really. If you look at the way e-learning has changed from, you know, trying to make learning to these tools that allow you to slap information up on a page and add a quiz on it, and to think that's going to lead to any meaningful change is is a problem. So I have a simple refrain. L&D isn't doing near what it could and should be doing. And what it is doing, it's doing badly. Other than that, we're fine. But um, (laughs) that's really not the way it could be. And the promise... The hope is this vision of L&D using learning correctly when it should, but also augmenting our, you know, with knowledge in the world instead of trying to put it all in the head and then tapping into the power of networks that supplementing the optimal execution, which is really the only the cost of entry with the continual innovation that organizations are going to need to be able to compete going forward and deal with the increasing change. And for L&D, there's a role to be facilitating that innovation and optimizing the execution in ways that are a richer use of the resources available than what they're doing now. So if I were to open the door into your ideal learning and development department, I'm going to walk through the door and I'm going to look around me. What am I going to see? What types of things are happening that you believe are going to deliver that type of change and performance augmentation to the organization? So instead of instructional designers taking orders for courses, they're going to be in that out. They're not going to be there. <laughs> they're going to right. be out <laughs> in, the, in the business units, um, consu- performance consulting, saying, what are the problems you have? What and doing the analysis that says that's a place where we do need skills. There's course. This is a place where they're just not having the knowledge to hand. This is a place where they know what to do. They're just misaligned with doing that for some reason, and they're going to be applying a richer suite of solutions on the other. And the people who used to be trainers are going to be facilitating learning across the organization, and they're going to be doing that through the digital tools we have to support people interacting, whether they're face-to-face or not. But they're going to be helping ensure that 
people are interacting in productive ways. They're making sure that everybody's being heard. They're helping curate resources that they find to meet their audience's needs. So it's a different perspective. So the, and those are the people at the at the front line, at the back end. The the managers and leaders are going to be uh, looking for experiments in trying new things and trying to ensure that that perspective, that the culture of the organization is very much focused on making it safe to learn, appreciating differences, all the elements that make a learning organization. And when I mean a learning organization, I mean an organization that's continually learning. Well, you know, I I would challenge that learning and development professionals don't necessarily know this already. I think actually there's a lot of people that enter learning and development with that desire to facilitate learning in its truest sense, to be able for, to enable people to achieve their potential, to maximize their talents, to deliver organizational performance in the best way possible. But our notion of what learning and development is in an organization is quite constrained. I think there's quite a few individuals who really want to meet exactly the challenge that you're describing, Clark. But I wonder whether it's it's also about the organization and their expectations, what they believe learning and development are about. How do people that are passionate about learning that are in organizations at the moment really describe that challenge and are supported to make that shift into learning facilitator? Um, I, I will agree that there are a lot of forces that are, you know, essentially maintaining the status quo. Mm. Uh, people who, you know, executives who've been to school think that's what learning is, even if they, you know, they don't really recognize that's not how they learned anything meaningful. Um, but so there, if it looks like school, they think, well, it must be learning going on. Exactly. Uh, and the tools, you know, the vendors are supporting the status quo. They have tools that make it easy to put courses up, make it easy to create these knowledge dump and, and knowledge test courses. So there's a lot of forces of change. I would love it to be the case that most of the L&D people do have this passion. I think the evidence suggests otherwise. Cammie Bean's book, uh, The Accidental Instructional Designer, I think is all too apt. Too often they take people who perform well and make them trainers, and then they go, e-learning, well, now you're going to be an e-learning developer, and they really don't have the background to do that. Um, And you look at the skills matrix uh, that the LPI has, and the full suite of skills that are taken to be able to facilitate, to know what, how, you know, facilitating people interacting well together isn't necessarily something that I think a lot of L&D people have. And I'd love to be wrong. That's great if it if I am. So I think there's a multitude of forces and perspectives that may keep that from happening. And that's why I'm trying to foster this revolution to raise awareness about the opportunities that we're leaving on the table. Well, and I think that's a really good point to talk about the opportunities that are on the table and what is in it and how do we demonstrate that in a meaningful way? What's in it for organizations to really get behind this as well, to to foster this revolution? What are they going to get out of this? The first thing is there's a lot of money being spent in L&D that isn't leading to any change. And one of the problems with L&D is they're not actually measuring their impact. They measure their efficiency. How much does it cost to have a bum in a seat for an hour without measuring whether that bum in that seat for the hour is actually impacting the business? So 
instead they could start making courses that actually will lead to a change, identify the problems, design courses. So a better use of money is one of the opportunities on the table. The second thing is not making courses when it doesn't make sense. Start using job aids and performance support because once people move beyond novices, they don't need courses. They need, um, they know what they need. They know why it's important. They just need that information. So the value of course starts falling off and the value of resources starts coming in. Similarly, they also need mentoring and coaching to continue to develop. So we start getting into the informal and social learning aspects and performance support. And once they become experts, you know, so to go back to the opportunities at table, that now we're helping people more in the ways they really need in the moment in the workflow. So we're moving from learning away from the workflow to start supporting learning and, and performance in the workflow. And then when they become experts, there's nobody who can tell them what they need. They're the ones who create new ideas. So if you start being able to facilitate the experts interacting and coming up with new solutions and problem solving and design and research, that's where you get the agility that is going to be the hallmark of a successful organization's ability to adapt and change and continue to grow. And that is another opportunity. It is happening, but it's happening outside of L&D. And that means it's either being facilitated by IT or the business units. And they don't necessarily know the most about how people learn and interact. And I think L&D can and should own that. So we've got, you know, not wasting money, start a helping people perform more optimally in the moment and helping the organization develop over time. Those are three very specific, very valuable propositions that L&D could be taking on. Mm. I mean, I'm a big fan, Clark, and I'd be interested to get your view on this. On, I think one of the things that learning development are really well placed to do is that um, although there's lots of evidence in terms of the value of social learning when it's properly facilitated and looking at things like value chain and the way in which people um, perform the job that they do and go beyond that performance to innovate, you can start to then marry business KPIs against the, what you would regard as the more informal uh, informal approaches to learning. However, I think for some organizations and particularly for some complex skills that there can be value in conquering the blank sheet of paper. So having some sort of scaffold, um, so as you've discovered, sort of well curated in a way in which people can start to go on that journey, experience what it feels like, and they're given a jump off point then to be able to contribute back. And I, I wonder what you think of that in terms of a, almost as a segue into this new world of learning where people can start to transition particularly if they're used to a very traditional you know, approach to learning in their organizations. I absolutely agree that you know, having people able to interact in productive ways, there's this statement that the room is smarter than the smartest person in the room. If you manage the process right, it's the caveat that goes along with that. Yeah. Um, and it, so just having a social network isn't enough. In uh, the States, we have this Miranda law that says, you know, if you're arrested, anything you say can and will be held against you. Well, I talk about the Miranda organization where anything you say can and will be held against you. And there are, <laughs> far too, there are far too many of those. So in many instances, you put in a social media tool and, and nothing happens because you don't uh, offer it. So how do you, you know, you have to make it safe. And one of the ways to start transitioning into it is to have leadership beginning to work out loud, show your work as, you know, a number of people have it. Harold Yarkey talks about working out loud and Jane Bozarth has her book, Show Your Work. And the point is to start being transparent and, and owning mistakes and, and working in ways that everybody can see what's happening and why it's important. And so 
if leadership starts modeling it and making it safe and L&D is out there fostering people saying, you try it too. And, and here's how to ask for help. And here's how to offer help in a way that anybody will actually want to listen to you. So you have to start doing it. And the best thing is for L&D to do it internally first. They have to start living it in um, like the lottery. You got to be in it to win it. In social media, you have to be using it to be getting your mind around it, to getting that experience, to begin to recognize how it helps you learn and work better. And uh, people who are say, oh, Twitter, it's just people talking about their breakfast. They're not following the right people. But you, if you get in it and you start following the right people and start seeing the way it helps you learn, then you can start owning that. And then once you understand it, you can bring it to the rest of the organization. So that was a unfortunately long answer to your small question, but the question is really, as I understood it, how do we get going? And I think it's by experimenting. And this is a broader perspective overall. I think organizations need to do a lot more experimentation, small experiments, what uh, Ian Semple called Trojan mice, <laughs> little things that experiment and, and it's okay if they fail, but you've got to start evaluating what's happening with them. And then when something works, you look to scale it and, and evangelize it and help people replicate it in other places. Oh, no, I think it's a good answer to an important question, because I think <laughs> it, it is that it, it, even for L&D themselves, conquering that blank sheet of paper saying, you know, we, we, I think there are people working learning that intuitively understand that this is the need, but it's the where we start, what sorts of things are going to make that key difference? What sorts of things can we start to, like you say, model and experiment with that will bring that change? So what are your hopes for 2016 then, Clark, on that note? What do you hope to start to see? What sorts of case studies are you hoping that, you know, this time next year at Devlin 2016, that we'll see that organisations have been, you know, performing differently? So we're seeing some of it already. So uh, J.D. Dunn, when he was at Kaplan, started getting user-generated uh, content going. Mark Britz, when he was at SMS, was he was tasked with creating a corporate university. And instead, he created a, a, a social network, um, communities of practice. So we're seeing it. And uh, I just was talking to uh, Frank Wynn from Sears and, and Amy Rouse from AT&T about what they're doing. And uh, Frank's really been pushing performance support instead of courses. And Amy's, you know, creating a learning portal and working on the social network. And what I would love to see is more of this. And I, I would love to see people sharing their success stories and their paths and helping facilitate, a, you know, a, a growing understanding. The interesting thing, so uh, I've been running workshops on sort of this bigger picture for a number of times. And the, the first time I ran it was back in, in 2009. And one of the interesting things, so everybody heard these opportunities. They heard about performance support. They heard about better formal learning. They heard about the power of community social. And at the end of it, I sort of asked who's going to do what as their sort of first agenda item when they get back to the office. And the first three people who shared each of them had picked a different thing. And that's the challenge is that it's not the same roadmap for everybody. If you've got an organization with high turnover, like a fast food franchise, you have different needs than if you're a deeply knowledge working organization, like an engineering firm. And there's going to be different paths. And what we want to find are the emergent principles. I documented what I thought were those in, in the book uh, where, you know, start uh, 
creating job aids and curating resources as a first step and, and reorganizing portals in the performance support space. And of course, in the formal learning space, look at the CRC Learning Manifesto um, and start taking off some of those things that would be the highest value. And I, my recommendation there is first start making more better practice, better uh, you know tasks that you have people do. Everything else will line up behind that if you have people doing tasks that are very close to what they have to do in the workplace. And community, start creating a community, model it by living it in the L&D group. So there's, I'd love to hear people saying, having debates about those principles that they are applying and, and how those modify in different instances. That's the dialogue I would love to hear beginning to happen. Well, and I'm sure that you'd back this up, Clark, but you know, you, you, you and, and myself love speaking at different events and conferences and talking about this stuff. But you know, if anybody listening to this today is working in learning and development and are doing some really interesting work in this space, you need to make your case studies known. You need to contact people like Clark to discuss this and it, it, either put in proposals to speak about this stuff so people can hear about real case studies or approach people like ourselves um, and we'll talk about it on your behalf. But I think that's one of the things that I would certainly love to see in 2016, Clark, is some more real life examples because like you said, everybody's journey isn't the same. Well, and I'd love people who are know they want to go this direction or struggling with it to get assistance. Yes, you know, absolutely. you, know, you got to, but you don't have to figure it all out yourself. There are ways to get going faster and get yourself to this place that is going to be a requirement for organizations. Get get a jump. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Clark, I cannot thank you enough for today. It's absolutely fantastic. I think it's a, a really emotive, interesting, inspiring subject to really get people thinking about some of these big questions for 2016. And uh, it'd be great to have this conversation again in a year's time, Clark, and see where we are. Absolutely. So, and thanks so much. A pleasure to talk to you. And um, look forward to uh, this. And thanks to everybody who ends up listening to this. That's great. Good thank you. Thank you so much, Clark. Well, that's it for episode four. We hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to share it with all your colleagues and Twitter friends and your Facebook followers. In the next episode, I'll be interviewing John Delano of Saltbox and author of a new book, The Learning Leaders Playbook. We have a conversation about some of the practical steps that you can take to help to sell in new ideas for learning in your organisation. So it's really essential listening. Also, please remember to tune into Learning Now TV on the 26th of November. We've got a great programme lined up. You can find all the details of how to access the programme at learningnow.tv. Thank you so much for joining us on Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.